Welcome to the Onyx Podcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran, here with my co-host, Matthew Dawkins. Hello. And Eddie Webb. Nello. Nello. I think you two have said Nello more than I have now. I feel like you've stolen my joke, ran away with it, repackaged it, (laughs) made it American, red, white, and blue. It was always our joke. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. What do you mean your joke? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. We already made Matthew cry and we're only 30 seconds into the episode. Yes. I mean, no, it's bad. I create. I own nothing that I create. (laughs) Hey, Eddie, remember when we developed Vegas Jihad Diary? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Chicago by Night? I'm so glad we did those books. Yeah, we're we're the best V five developers. <laughs> mm, mm. Also, that, that 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 game we made together that came from Beyond the Grave. Oh yeah, I, I was really proud of the work you did. On that. I'm so proud of that game. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it sucks. <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, I am very proud of that game, but it's just for the stuff I wrote on Matthew's behalf. So, <laughs> we will give it back to Matthew. It's a wonderful game, and in my opinion, it's even better than Beneath the Sea. I <laughs> know, uh, no, I genuinely think it is. Uh, I mean, that's 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 not what happens when you get to the like second or third book in a series, you know? Yeah, uh, for me, it wasn't a difficult second album as much as the album where we actually knew how to play our instruments and <laughs> so created something vaguely harmonic. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, hey, there's a keyboard here. I suppose we should use that, huh? Yeah, eh, I stop, guess. Stop hammering the keyboard, Eddie. Oh no, little hammer horror. I get it. Mm. Either way, uh, this episode is our second Mailbag episode, uh, The Revenge of Mailbag, as the uh, window is titled. That would be a good Beyond the Grave scenario. The Revenge of Mailbag. Yeah. There would need to be, the the, the mailman or postal worker would need to be the slasher. So it's maybe more of a Camp Murder Lake. And uh, he keeps his weapons in his mailbag, presumably. Uh, maybe maybe he's gathering the heads of people that he's delivering mail to. Maybe it all started when he was traumatized by a dog. I feel that that could be a good genesis point. There's an episode of two second horror stories called Bagman in which a scary man comes out of a bag and attacks people. Hmm. Okay, well, you know. Actually two uh, seconds long? No, sorry, it's two two sentence horror stories. What I meant to say. Oh, no. there's two seconds. Something. That's a I, really short I, story. I have said that so many times. Been like, but like, what is this TV show I'm watching called? Twenty second horror stories? No, no, two sentence <laughs> horror stories. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's that wonderful like scene in Audition, which I know we mentioned a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. where there's, um, without spoiling too much from this 1999 horror movie, I think it's 99. It could be any year around that time. Uh, where a character who is waiting to hear from our protagonist is revealed to have literally been doing nothing but sitting by the phone, sort of unblinking. And in the background, there's this big sack, and you don't know what's in the sack until the phone starts ringing, at which point the sack just goes, and rolls (laughs) across the screen. (laughs) And the camera doesn't move, it's just you think, oh shit, there's someone in that so yeah, audition. Really recommend it if you like your extreme Asian horror. It's it, it's pretty extreme though. Like lots of content warnings. Feel free to yes. go look what look up what they are before you watch oh, it. Oh, very much so. There's yeah. a list apparently. I mean, it, it, just in case anyone doesn't know, uh, on doesthedogdie.com, which is a great website for finding out if the dog dies in a movie or TV show, they mm. have lots of categories. 
Like, is yep. there violence to, you know, teeth? Is there vomiting? Because, like, that's mm. that that's a thing that I don't like in movies because I am a sympathy puker. Mm. If I, like, hear someone puking, I get very, like, that. Mm. <laughs> and so um, I, I look that up sometimes for horror movies. I'm like, I don't. Like, if this happens, I want to know when it's going to happen. Right, to go to Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I've got a friend who's like that with eyes. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like that with eyes in horror. Yeah, uh, one of our uh, one of our V5 players is like that with eyes, which I did not know when I uh, shriveled someone's eyeballs up in the game. Mm, there, there's a... Felt bad afterwards. Uh, horrible, terrible movie called Antichrist by Lars von Trier. And I won't go into everything that happens in that, because if there's something horrible that can happen in a movie, it happens in that movie. But nonetheless, I was able to watch the majority of it, except for a scene where Willem Dafoe wakes up in the night. He's in a forest cabin. Mm-hmm. He wakes up in the night, the window's been open, and he finds something like a dozen ticks on the back of his hand and arm uh, that have just come in through the window, presumably. And then he's just sort of frantically trying to get them off. And compared to everything else in the movie, that's pretty tame. But that was enough for me to say, okay, switching it off now. I need to. I need a breath of air. Yeah, yeah. No, I've I've been like that with movies before, where it's like, okay, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna pause this. I'm gonna go outside. I'm gonna like shake it off. You know, like, <laughs> and it's funny, like which films do it here. Like, I Wrath of Khan is a genuinely good movie, but I cannot watch past the first five minutes of it because of that scene of the bug being put in Chekhov's ear. Yeah, yeah. I can't do it. I I felt a bit weird with that. I felt weird as well, and I know it sounds laughable, with the Dungeons and Dragons movie, because there is a scene that is ripped off from Wrath of Khan, but where this, where the the sort of bug mind flare-y thing, I'm not even sure what it's supposed to be, because I don't think the writers knew, Uh uh, emerges from Damodar, the blue lipsticked sort of warrior, evil warrior. It, It emerges from his ears. Um, and his ears are red after Jeremy Irons implants this thing in him, but after that he's got this strange, almost plant creature, it seems, living in his head that emerges from his ears. It's a very strange beat for the, a very bad I don't movie. remember much about this movie. I, I watched it in the theater. I remember not liking it, but I don't remember actually any plot relevance to it. I feel like I should warn both of you that if you're going to play Baldur's Gate 3 the opening cutscene, which you can skip involves a mind flayer putting a thing in like in your eyeball. Oh yeah, I'm fine with mind flares. This thing I I think the problem for me (laughs) is it's always when for me it's always when horror is rooted in realism. And not that I expect a plant creature to emerge from someone's ears, but I've read far too many sort of Reader's Digest-like horror stories of someone who got a potato seed in their ear and grew an entire crop. Oh, like or, a like those weird like urban legendy type things. Yeah, yeah. Or or inhaled a pea and ended up spitting out pea pods for the next ten oh years. Oh my god! Um, and so likewise with ticks on the back of your hand. That for me is uh, far more alarming than um, Michael Myers, uh, either Michael Myers or Mike Myers, for that matter, because both are cartoon characters, basically. <laughs> See, I am I am the opposite way. The like things that unsettle me in movies are like you know somebody getting stalked or serial killers or mm. slashers. You could just because like 
I have never been concerned that a plant's going to grow out of my ear, but I have <laughs> been walking down the street at night and been concerned that somebody was going to stab me. Yeah. You know? So, like, all the stuff that unsettles me in in horror movies, for the most part, and horror TV tends to be of the non-supernatural, very, like, plausible, but probably very unlikely, you know, serial mm-hmm. killer type stuff, like... Axe murderer burst into your house for no reason. Yeah. Really unlikely to happen. Most most killings are not random like that. It is super rare. But <laughs> that is the thing that will make me like paranoid if I, you know, go outside to like walk to my car after I've watched one. Yeah. That's fair. Huh. Well, anyway, this is the Revenge of Mailbag, as we started this <laughs> off with and then talked about horror movies for eight minutes. Um so last week we did our mailbag episode. Uh, we had a lot of questions. We didn't get through all of them. Uh, so we opened up the form again and have a bunch more questions. Uh, we're going to get through as many as we can. Um, hopefully we'll get through all of them. Some of them might be very short, but who knows? We tend to ramble. So if we don't get to your question, I am very <laughs> sorry. Um, but we're going to try to get through all of them. Uh, I'm going to start with one kind of blanket question. Uh, a lot of people asked about various chronicles 2e stuff um and the answer is in the last episode (laughs) but also in this one i'm just gonna say like every plan that we could have for 2e has to go through paradox and so you will know when we are doing things when they get announced on the blog (laughs) um and past that i really can't speak to much of the uh, to many of the chronicles products uh because it's not in our hands anymore um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's that's answering like four people's questions. Like I be the unreliable is one of them. Uh, Kevorkian doctor. These are weird names. Um, <laughs> and then a couple of anonymous folks asked uh, asked about Chronicles books, and it was just kind of like, well, like can't say much about that until they're announced. So keep checking the blog every week. Keep checking the blog. Uh, so now we'll go to a question from. Let's, let's let's actually do the one from last week that I just wanted to like mention. A couple of people asked this. It is one that we answered la- that Matthew and Eddie talked about last week, uh, which is about what splat lines or monsters or supernatural things we'd want to bring into World of Darkness or Chronicles of Darkness or having a new book. One of those people is Oneros. The other one is Marquis Mark, but Marquis like oh like, I get it now. Like I'm like the Marquis of something, not right. like Marquis Mark, but no, it, and the funky bunch. Yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> that's clever i like that yeah I, I i said it out loud i was like oh crap i just said marky mark um <laughs> either way uh they asked what kind of like splats or creatures we'd like to introduce i didn't get to answer this one last week so i'm sure. gonna say that to me the obvious two answers are always things from under the sea or things from space like either aliens or some kind of weird aquatic creatures because mm. those, those are really the two kind of supernaturally tropey things that we haven't messed with. And also I'm terrified of the deep sea. Like there's, there's more shit in the ocean that we have never, ever seen than we could even conceive of. But that's Matthew's um, home. You can't talk shit about Matthew's home. Oh no, no, I don't live in the deep sea. That place is even too intimidating for me. I like <laughs> wow. where I can pick off bathers. <laughs> Uh, there's really not much fun to be had where the pressure is far too intense and it's damn cold it's very dark and all the fish are bloody ugly (laughs) also there's no such thing as a fish so 
That's true. Yeah. There is no such thing as a fish in the infinite monkey cage. Um, so do, do either of you have one that you would either want to put a new spin on or flesh out, um, add to the lineup that we didn't talk about last week? No, I'm still pretty comfortable with, I feel like just a bot could have a fair shake, but. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, well, yeah, I went off on my Hunter the Reckoning reboot, uh, head cannon idea, uh, where all hunters get cannons embedded in their heads. Uh, if you, if you missed I, that I missed last that. time. Yeah, uh, either that or they all become bishops in the church and uh, they're all arguing over who becomes the head canon. And <laughs> beyond that, I, I've, I share your thoughts on Aliens. It always surprised me that when I, were, when I was a fan of World of Darkness before I started working on it. Yeah, now, uh, now you hate it. <laughs> <laughs> that when I was a humble fan and player a and storyteller, yes. Uh, <laughs> see, this is why this is why we get to only one bloody question. <laughs> <laughs> that in the original lineup of the World of Darkness, even among the uh, black uh, edged books, you never got uh, an alien source book. Uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse pretty much came closest, oddly, mm -hmm. to having aliens yeah. because of creatures like the Vujunka, uh, which were almost more Lovecraftian than aliens in a xenomorph kind of a way, or predator kind of a way. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, it always surprised me that World of Darkness didn't, but I guess it, one could argue it would border too much into the world of science fiction. But Then again, yeah. if you're going to make that argument, what the hell are the technocracy up to? <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, uh, but I agree. I agree. It would have been nice to see an alien splat that seamlessly fit into the World of Darkness lineup. Yeah. Also, if you go Chronicles, like, Deviant is pretty sci-fi, and so is Demon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even Mummy with its time travel. Yeah. Yeah. You should put that in. Yeah, we'll have to remember. <laughs> or, I've, I've already forgotten. Well, yeah, due to its timeless nature, we've not even started Mummy the Curse yet, which is very odd considering people who already have their backer copies. Yeah, weird. <laughs> and yet they don't. If they check their inboxes now, they never had it. Also, we did the errata three years ago. <laughs> yes. There was only one piece of errata and yet 300 plus pieces of errata. It was very confusing. <laughs> I just rewrote the book. All right. So let's, let's, let's get to some more of our questions. Um, Riker asks, which project on its path Riker. <laughs> Which projects, Onyx Path or otherwise, do you wish you had an opportunity to work on, but didn't for whatever reason? Um, the reason can even be that it was made well before, you know, you were working in this industry. So, uh, Eddie, what, what, what project do you wish you had been on? Um, uh, there are two I can think of. Uh, one Onyx Path, one not. Um, the not one is uh, I did have a chance to work on the Doctor Who project and I just couldn't. We couldn't <gasps> get the contracts to work out. That's so sad for you. Yeah. Doctor yeah, I was, I was I was heartbroken, um, but it just came down to just couldn't make 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 the numbers work as it were. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is I, I kind of regret not working on Legend Lore. Honestly, um, I saw what uh, Matthew and Steffi and the team have done to pull that together, and it looks really really cool. And in retrospect, I think I wish I had time to kind of poke at that because I think it would have been a really fun project. Cool, Matthew. What about you? In terms of White Wolf of Old, well before my time, I would have loved to have worked on the Street Fighter RPG because it came out around the time, I guess, 
the license was massive, hence why there was a role-playing game made right. from it. And I was a huge fan of Street Fighter 2. Um, you know, I had the, the manga movie, uh, which oh, it wow. still has a brilliant soundtrack, not the Jean-Claude mm-hmm. Van Damme atrocity. Which I thought was great when I was like a kid. <laughs> oh yeah, it's still it's still amazing fun. Don't get me wrong, that movie is still fantastic, but in in its own way. Um, but yeah, writing on a Street Fighter RPG would have been great fun, and I would have been able to use all my nerdy Street Fighter lore, bring it to bear, only for Capcom to say, actually, you can't talk about this. <laughs> and in terms of more recent offerings. Games that I never had a chance to work on. Hmm, that's actually a, that's a that's a tricky one because in terms of all the twentieth anniversary lines, I think I've worked on all of them. Mm-hmm. I think I've worked on most of the Chronicles of Darkness game lines. The only one I've not touched is Mage, mm-hmm. yeah. and I'm not that interested in working on Mage. It's just kind of out of my wheelhouse. So. You know what? In terms of current Onyx Path products, I'm pretty happy with where I am. There, there is nothing I am clamoring to work on and nothing I regret not working on. Nice. Uh, my answer for wasn't even in the industry at the time when this book was made was the Buffy role-playing game. Mm, yeah. As our listeners right. know, I'm a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. I rewatch it every year or so. <laughs> I have paid money to hold one of the prop sides from season seven <laughs> in one photo. Um, I actually expect you to say the Sailor Moon RPG. You know, I I don't respect that as a product as much as I respect the Buffy <laughs> RPG. <laughs> and, and the Buffy RPG and the Ooh. Angel RPG especially, which is an improvement. Uh, yeah. But they are both excellent role-playing games no yeah exactly true yeah that if people if you can find them i think you've got to buy them secondhand now Mm -hmm. because the license elapsing but if you can find them they are really worth picking up i don't think they've dated badly yeah whereas when we did our chaos game a while back and i made a sailor moon rpg character i was like this book is bad there's there's way too many rules (laughs) there's way too many numbers to calculate um, I don't understand why I have to know my Taylor Scouts blood type. You know, like there's just there's just <laughs> oh, a lot going on in that, that one. Um, that, if you want to make your own obsession, character, though, isn't it in the Japanese um, gaming industry? Well, in have... in Japanese culture, uh, yeah. blood type can predict your personality, kind of like astrology symbols. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I, in fact, going back to Street Fighter, I remember when you used to get these uh, character bios. It would have their name, where they're from their uh, their blood type and their special move mm. and it was just it, it is a really foreign concept to have a sort of headline as a headline for a character in a western rpg mm-hmm. or, or video game but yeah it was uh always the done thing i think it's less so now uh but certainly in the 90s it was yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because for me, it didn't bother me because I was like, oh, they're Street Fighter. Of course, they probably need another blood type because they probably have their blood transfusions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so as far as that goes, that's that's the main. Um, I've, I've worked on so many things that I'm so proud of and so happy that I've worked on. Um, I, I also did not work on Legend Lore, which I, I would have liked because um, I think Legend Lore is very cool. Mm. But I've, I've worked on almost every game that I wanted to. Like, 
I, I guess it would be cool if I could go back and write on They Came From Beneath the Sea, but I loved writing on They Came From Beyond the Grave, and I think that my tone was better for that book anyway. Yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm way more into that kind of horror than I am into 50 sci-fi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, it's there's, there's just, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at as far as uh, books that we've put out. Look at us resting on our laurels. <laughs> <laughs> it's all downhill alright so anonymous person asks I have played through a lot of the SAS adventures for first edition of Chronicles of Darkness but I noticed there aren't any for 2E why is that and my answer is that I don't know Eddie might but I honestly have no idea because I was not part of the company when those decisions were being made so um the uh, the short answer is we're hoping the community con- or sorry uh, uh, White Wolf knee paradox wants wanted the storytellers vault to be able to kind of fill in that role mm-hmm. um he said the longer answer is the SNSs were originally something we did because we weren't sure what kind of pdf products people would buy um in the the ancient days of you know 2007 2008 pdf <laughs> products were a thing but people were still like i would only buy this as a book and, and people just weren't buying PDF versions of full books. So the SASs yeah. were uh, a way to kind of get people to buy digital only products. And that's why if you look at the original ones, they're formatted to be landscape because we figured that people look in on computer screens. Um, and they didn't sell that great. Uh, and luckily uh, around, I had internally suggested that like um, I had heard rumors of the iPad coming out and I was like there's gonna be some kind of large phone device coming out and that's like, that's like, <laughs> some kind of large phone device I didn't know tablet wasn't a word yet I know I just, I just love thinking about you know the before times and right. Eddie circa 1988 there's going to be some kind of phone that's mobile <laughs> <laughs> made of cells no um I know that's not why it's all cell phone. Uh, but um, no, so I was like, you know, there's going to be, you know, the screens are going to get bigger. Uh, and I think we'll be able to get PDFs more. Although, although I also opened up for EPUB might be the way to go. Um, and then the iPad was announced. Um, and sure enough, that helped to really increase PDF sales. And so um, the SASs, we repackaged them into a couple of like, compilations. Went, and again, they just didn't do great. Um, so uh, when, uh, that's one of the reasons why we, for a long time, hadn't done adventures because they just don't sell very well. Um, with the change in temperature in the industry, and this goes back to our question from last week about um, our tr- overall trends, mm-hmm. um, a lot more people are casually playing RPGs than they were before, and they're doing it online. Uh, so digital adventures make more sense. But I don't think uh, we haven't talked about this internally. I don't know. I mean, we may still do like here's a flat PDF, but I think we're more likely to look at it as like, here's a PDF along with, you know, a roll 20 package or an actual mm-hmm. package. Um, yeah. And then that's your adventure. Um, and we, I mean, still do this to a degree with the quick starts are functionally yeah. those SAS adventures. Um, uh, but the SAS system, that storyteller adventure system uh, structure, um, we, we haven't been using it uh, for quite a long time because it just, it, it it was up. It worked at its time um, to what we wanted it to do, but it just doesn't fit the industry anymore or our goals anymore. The very first writing submission I made to White Wolf of Old was an SAS product uh, for mm. Vampire the Requiem, and I hmm. imagine it was not very good. So that's that anecdote. Interestingly, what? one of my first in-house writing assignments for White Wolf was also a Requiem SAS. 
Trying to fix and this bloody awful thing submitted for, by an anonymous huh. man in Britain. I just stole it. Why would you, you submit th- anonymously? Were, were you the guy who sent the Were you the guy who sent the uh, Requiem adventure um, that was set in the Ren Fair? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. No. I still remember that even 10 years later that someone sent in a Requiem submission and it was about a vampire at Ren Fair because they feel comfortable in Ren Fairs. Um, and there was a magic tankard that you drank and the bottom of the magic tankard was a... You could look for the tankard and see people's if they're vampires or not. Why are you calling out my adventure like this? <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I remember <laughs> including a character, no word of a lie, who ha- and in a vampire game who had the surname Blood. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. The reason I did that was because one of my clients in my day job also had the surname Blood, and I thought that would be a fantastic name for a vampire. And whatever reason, maybe I was just too immature, I didn't. I just didn't realize why this would be stupid. So you had <laughs> a big hulking bully Ventru called Nathaniel Blood, which I think works perfectly well as a they came from beyond the grave villain. So yeah, it was right. clearly clearly telling me what I should have been writing. Good old Nate Blood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just reminds me of the Rick and Morty episode with vampires, where there's a character called Coach Faratu who was a coach at a high school, and the vampires are going, "Really, Coach Faratu? That was your elaborate disguise?" <laughs> Wow. I'm going to move on with questions now. Right. Because <laughs> we have a bunch of them, and this might actually end up being a third mailbag episode if we're not quicker. Uh, but that's great, because we like content. Um, yeah. And this is free content for us, so thank you, all the listeners who wrote in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we didn't have to do any work this week. Uh, so what advice, if any, can you give a couple who are planning to run a duet Changeling Chronicle, where either one is the storyteller and the other is the player, um, with maybe a storyteller-operated sidekick character, or GMless with a GM emulator, which I've never used. This is from John and Fiona Devon. Uh, y'all, y'all have any advice on this? Because I, I do not. <laughs> yeah, so uh, in, a, in a sense, it's like, I guess other people call it solo play when there's one storyteller, one player. Uh, but duet's a good word for it as well. The the main thing I would focus on is what kind of arc the player actually wants to follow. Uh, I think uh, a game focused on one character benefits strongly from the character being the story rather than Mm -hmm. anything existential running around in the background because you just don't have enough people to interact with every single NPC that would usually be in the way and gangs of villains that are wanting to ambush you, which may mean that things like uh, that the game may be heavier on investigation and mystery creeping Mm -hmm. around uh, doing a bit of research, that kind of thing, than big drag out combats Uh, obviously when thinking about fights as most role-playing games include some kind of combats, uh, you are going to want to really sort of taper down the number of participants in, uh, participants in such a thing. Uh, just, again, to make it more about the character and less about all the many dice you'll have to roll if they're having to fight a horde of uh, other changelings or huntsmen or whatever. Um, assuming that it's changing a lost. Yeah, I, I have no idea which changeling it is, so it could be dreaming. Yeah, I mean, uh, either way, uh, the the fundaments are that it your best story is going to come from having a good conversation with the player uh, and setting out what kind of story you want to tell, 
and then surprising them with mysteries, providing them with enough clues for them to solve those mysteries, and then responding to them if they don't necessarily solve those mysteries but come up with better ideas than you, either mm. rolling along with them uh, those conclusions or you know coming up with something even better so there's a nice sting in the tail uh and i'm just speaking from my own personal experience that's not specifically changeling but i think that it can work very well especially for changing the dreaming in fact where you can have things like courtly intrigue uh well no that again that could be the case in changing the lost uh where you have a private investigator-like character who's trying to work out why the king of this court has disappeared. Uh, mm-hmm. Try and take from media where you... Um, Poirot-style media, Agatha Christie-style media, murder mysteries, that sort of thing. Uh, because that makes for interesting stories where you have a single central protagonist. Cool. That makes sense. I like it. Wonderful. <laughs> Uh, Ben Rogers asks, or says, and then asks a question, uh, that they are a big Trinity Continuum fan and have often thought of doing a Contagion Chronicle-style game crossing the different power types. Um, In in such a game, with a complete blank canvas, what power types would we choose to play? Uh, Eddie? Honestly, I'd probably play a Talent. Um, I was thinking the same thing. Like after watching like One Division and stuff, I'm like, I want to play Darcy. (laughs) Like, yeah, like I want to play the support character. To, like, I mean, a bunch of aberrants. And even even talents out of the box, I mean, they're not as, quote unquote, powerful as, as Syads or, or Novas, but, I mean, they have some cool stuff. They're, they're, they're genuinely media characters, and I love the concept that they're kind of subconsciously manipulate reality. Again, mm-hmm. you know, WandaVision is in my head right now. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think... I, I think, I mean, the, the game I ran for you guys was Vanilla Trinity, and you know, even, you know... Those kind of talents were just fun to, to run for. So I mean, I just I think talents are really a lot a lot of fun, and I, I would definitely play one. Mm-hmm. What about you, Matthew? Well, if you're playing the talent support cast, I'll play the Nova. And, <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> Batman versus Batman, it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I think it could be fun to have on one level the power disparity if mm-hmm. we're in the same group, uh, but you have the greater know-how and reach when it comes to mundane society, which is, after all, the society we live in. It isn't that 100% of the people are Novas. Most people are talents. Mm-hmm. And so that means that my character, for all of their power, is also heavily dependent on a support network. And I think that leads to interesting drama and, and story. Uh, if, however, we were all playing a game at the same level, I would be more drawn to talents because I prefer prefer to play underdogs than mm-hmm. uh, than godlike individuals. Cool. Yep. Uh, so hopefully that answers your question because yeah, we we all like talents. We're all kind of like odd because mm-hmm. I I feel like a lot of folks kind of skip the first Trinity book, aside mm-hmm. from like getting the rules out of it. And it's like, but there's so much you can do in that setting. It's really fun. Yeah. It's great. Uh, so Corbin asks, would you be able to go into a little detail about how rules layout is determined? Uh, they feel like rules are sometimes hidden in obscure sections of the book. Um, my answer for that is that we, we try not to do that. <laughs> we definitely yeah. try to make it make sense. But uh, Eddie, yeah. do you have any answer for that? The 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 issue is, so I mean, there. Yeah, I phrase this. Um, 
everyone understands where rules should go differently, right? Um, and so one person's, this is an obscure person in the book, is another person's, oh, this is the place I would go look for it. Right. Um, so uh, uh, I, I don't want to dismiss Corbin's concern here, but um, when the developer's putting the books together, there's no standardized system for it. But generally speaking, we do try to design with the idea of let's put the rule in the most obvious place people will look. Um, we may get that wrong sometimes. Uh, and certainly there are occasionally times where in later stages of the book, a rule has to be changed or added and it gets jammed into whatever space we have to put it in. Mm -hmm. um, so, so those things also happen. Um, but there's the reason why we have uh, uh, past several years now, we've had the really comprehensive um, uh, tables of contents. Um, we, we index core books uh, because we can't assume that you'll be able to find it in the place we think you'll find it in. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, uh, but the flip side is that uh, the alternative is to repeat rules in various parts of the book. And when we've done that, people have felt like they're getting quote unquote ripped off because they're getting the same material copy and pasted over again. Yeah. Or that um, we're like talking down to them. Right. It's like, I already know this. Why are you repeating it? Yeah. Um, so it's a tricky balance. Um, I, for many years, uh, erred on the side of lots of page references. Um, and mm -hmm. that uh, turns out some people have been annoyed by. So it, 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 it's, a, it's a fair bit of like, we're doing what we can. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, uh, there's also been plenty of times where I've had people who've been like, I can't find this rule anywhere. And it's under the heading that defines the rule. Um, and they just look past it. Um, so to them, it's like, this rule is obscure and I can't find it, but it's like, it's literally under a section titled throwing, you know, and looking for throwing rules. Right. Uh, so, and sometimes you, you just glance over it or the, or for some reason, this particular book, the way it's laid out, it, it, it's bouncing off your ability to recognize, um, location markers like, uh, uh pages or, or where our placement is or headers. Mm -hmm. Those are all visual cues to kind of help you orient yourself in the book. And sometimes people just don't gravitate to those um so i'm not trying to say that we couldn't do better obviously we can always do better and, and we try to think about this stuff every time we make a, a core rule book um but sometimes it is also people just parse information differently and to them it seems really obtuse mm -hmm. i i think uh I, I completely understand the the quandary and why the question comes up because mm -hmm. talking about that they came from games in particular uh and one of my least liked mechanics in fact in story path is stunts mm. and uh, it's it's a silly thing to dislike it mostly stems from not knowing the best place to put them <laughs> uh, yeah. because there's an argument that they should fall in with skills and attributes because a lot of the stunts are geared around skills and attributes and the use of them. There's the argument they should fall within the system chapter because um, basic stunts are outlined there, how stunts work as mm -hmm. essentially in the form of enhancements and what they can buy for you. Um, but there's also the argument in They Came From that they should fit within cinematic powers because stunts are cinematic. So right. I think uh, we've in Beneath the Sea, the bulk of stunts end up in cinematic powers, and I think we move them in Beyond the Grave to another chapter. And they're all findable with the contents page. As long as you're looking on the contents page, you will find them. Uh, but I'm still not satisfied with that. And it what that often tells me, if I don't know where to put a rule, uh, the there is an inclination on my part to think, if this is so poorly defined by me, the developer, that I don't know where to put it, 
are people finding it to use it? Are mm-hmm. people actually utilizing this material? Do you uh, even need this rule? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And th- and I know this is very premature to start thinking this way, but in some respects, it's that kind of process as a developer that makes you start immediately thinking of, okay, well, if I get a second edition, now I know what I won't include or where I'll put it or what I'll trim down. Oh, sure. Because a lot of it's iterative. You go through mm-hmm. core rule books or you go through source books and you start finding you're either reusing something or restating something over and over again because it's not clear to the vast majority of the audience. And it comes a point where if you've had to restate it a dozen times or half a dozen times, you're probably going to have to rewrite the entire thing and approach it from a new way when you get around to a new edition where the rules get updated. But you can't just update a major rule partway through a production cycle uh, or at least i i don't feel like that's a good idea but so, i mean yeah. you've, you've touched on i think the big conflict that i was trying to get before in the sense that people use role-playing game books in two very different ways some people read them cover to cover or some variation of it uh, some people use them as reference books and mm. a lot of people switch between those two and so a mm-hmm. layout decision that makes perfect sense to make things easy to find as a reference book makes it intolerable to read and vice versa yeah um and so we're always uh, you know again repeating the rule it makes perfect sense on a reference book you know it's like of course repeat it as many times as possible because a reference book you make sure that, that material is right next to where you might be looking but that is and it makes people feel stupid like dixie said when you're trying to read it from beginning to end. And a lot of people do enjoy that beginning to end reading process. So um, that's another part of it is we're trying to do two very different things simultaneously and we just do the best we can. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, So we have another question from Ben Rogers, uh, which uh, they say that their players like to recast their games with characters from a franchise, most recently drawing parallels from the carry on movies, which I will be perfectly frank. I don't know what those are uh, for their star Mm -hmm. Wars campaign. Uh, are there any franchises that you would pick to recast one of your current campaigns from? So I guess taking the characters from a franchise and putting them in whatever you're playing or a fantasy game that you haven't, you know, played yet. Matthew Sion game with Hobbit characters. <laughs> Matthew Sion game with Hobbit characters. Yeah. Like <laughs> from the Hobbit 3 specifically. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to be the bear. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm fast enough on that. You could be Smog. <laughs> I'll be Smog. Yes, there we go. Well, that okay. works for Scion Dragon. Uh, so Smog and the Bear. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and and I'll just play Samwise Gamgee with a dagger plus one. <laughs> um, so well, with a plus one enhancement because it's story path. Um, so that, um, to to mansplain to the audience uh, and and Dixie, <laughs> uh, and I'll push my glasses up my nose as I do it. Um. The Carry On movies are a 1950s, 60s, 70s pick, sort of postcard humor series uh, that was very popular in Britain. Oh. Uh, so it's full of innuendos, full of um, campness and uh, critiques on the establishment of the time. Uh, and, oh. of course, lots of um, very mild sexual references and jokes. I think body is probably a good... Bodies, yeah, a good reference. Um, But uh, they're very popular over here, still are, uh, despite the fact they stopped being made many, many years ago. And yeah, I I actually really like the idea of using the Carry On cast in a They Came From game. I mean, there's movies like Carry On Screaming, which is basically They Came From Beyond the Grave. Um, 
and there's a whole bunch of others like Carry On Cleo, so in the times of, of course, Cleopatra, Carry On Spying, which is a sort of Bond pastiche, um, where one character in the <laughs> movie is um, called, who is very camp, and they ask for his code name, and he says, um, um, my name is, my code name is double O O. And someone and someone says, "What three zeros?" He says, "Well, I don't really know, but when the person assigned me that code name, he looked me up and down, and went, uh oh, oh, like that." And it's all very, <laughs> it's all very knowing humor, but it works very, very well. So yeah, I'll take your idea, Ben, and I will use carry on characters for any of my they came from games. There you go. I am personally always up to use what we do in the shadows style vampires. Um, in a yeah. vampire game, because yeah. I I think I think it's fun to play it funny sometimes, you know. And yeah. uh, I love what we do in the shadows. I, that's the the original movie is one of those things that like I was an ambassador for when it came out. Like I would go to friends' <laughs> houses and be like, "Have you seen this? You haven't seen this? We're gonna yeah. watch this." Um, because I, I I've seen it many times. I also love the series. Um, I think that one of one of my friends when they were playing through the vampire visual novel or like inter- interactive novel recently, you Ooh. can name your character. <laughs> he named his character Jackie Daytona. <laughs> from what we do in the Shadow series, Jackie Daytona, <laughs> normal man from Arizona. Uh, um, I I take more inspiration from what we do in the shadows than from any other vampire media because I find that it's so good. Uh, I find that actually watching genuine vampire horror movies. I'm more likely to almost come up with idea paralysis mm-hmm. uh, and uh, risk essentially stealing a good horrific idea. I would rather come up with fresh things inspired by or turning the genre on its head mm-hmm. than going back to perfectly fantastic films like Byzantium, Only Lovers Left Alive. They're great movies, but I don't want Vampire the Masquerade to be only lovers left alive that's what only lovers left alive is um but you know that's just me yeah i mean well everybody's got their own way they want to play but yeah no i uh even we were playing one of the um exalted essence play tests which you can find on our youtube uh i had a character who turned into a bat and every time that i did i went bat bat uh, <laughs> <laughs> human <laughs> form <laughs> i i yeah no i i i love I love ridiculous vampire humor, um, so I will always bring it into anything. Uh, and I've I've talked before about using like the Buffy cast as inspiration for a bunch of sure. characters, and you know, it, you're you're using Carry On for Star Wars, but you can use the main Star Wars archetypes for Aeon. You know, yeah. you, you can do all kinds of stuff. So, all right, let's move on. Uh, Bambi Parsons says, "When you first started writing, how difficult was it for you to articulate what was in your head to pen and paper?" Um, Eddie, start with you. So the, the 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 it was easy for me to do it. Um, it was difficult for me to do it well. Um, like mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I would just write any gibberish that came to head and put it down. And then my mom got me a typewriter and regretted it like ten minutes later because I would be in my room for hours. Um, and so let me give you something like less noisy, like a gun. Um, but when I realized I, you know, it's like in my head, I had these great stories and I look at what I wrote and say, well, this is terrible. Um, so it was, I realized how difficult it was to articulate 
the amazing idea in my head into words that felt like they were worthy of that idea. Um, and that was again, pretty early on, but I just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And then, uh, so, I mean, I guess I started writing like with an eye towards this is going to be something I wanted in my life. Probably when I was around 10, 11. Mm-hmm. So really young. Matthew, do you have any, uh, insight, any, mm. any insights, any elaboration? Yeah. Uh, I think I can't really pinpoint a time when it became easy uh, because I was always always coming up with stories uh, all, all my mm-hmm. life, really. As soon as I was able to articulate them in my head, I was spitting them out. But actually writing them down in any kind of formal fashion, uh, in a way, although I studied English literature at college, uh, so pre-university over here, mm-hmm. and had a fair idea around creative writing, I never wrote anything for anyone else to to read until I was uh, until I was sending in pictures, basically for White Wolf and Onyx Path. And knowing mm-hmm. that most of what I was pitching in for White Wolf of old wasn't great, it took having a mentor for a while to to get that uh, for me, for everything to click into place. And at that point, I kind of mimicked the, to the best of my ability the way that they were writing. And so I mentioned in a tweet recently, the first developer who I really sort of shadowed was Stu Wilson. And mm-hmm. that was, I don't think it was through any design of Stu's. He wasn't trying to bring me to a level where I could write professionally or anything like that. I could just see that he was doing it really well. He was developing people's work really well. And so I was able to pick up on various tricks. And then I've mentioned many, many times that Richard Dansky on Wraith the Oblivion gave me enormously helpful and at times scathing feedback on my work there but I used that to shape my writing so that I could cut out things like unnecessary adverbs passive voice mm-hmm. and when you start looking at writing for me anyway at a granular level at almost editing it as you go that that's how I do it some people will splurge out everything on a page get to the end and then they will go through the edit i'm very exacting over how i write now and that comes from watching very closely what my developers were doing and co-writers were doing on their Mm -hmm. books finding out what worked finding out what didn't and refining through copy um so for me it really took until probably my third or fourth writing assignments to really feel comfortable with uh, writing my ideas out in a in a confident way yeah I, I will say that for me um part of having ADHD is that if I'm not good at something immediately I have trouble sticking with it mm-hmm. um but I, I I went to college and did a lot of writing stuff because I was a composition and a rhetoric major um, which you wouldn't know from listening to me talk that I actually have a rhetoric background, but here, here we are. Um, <laughs> but uh, one, one thing that has always stuck with me, if you, if you want one piece of advice, um, give yourself permission to write poorly. Yes. There's a reason drafts are a thing. There's a reason revisions are a thing. There have been times when I've been writing a draft for, say, Eddie, like a first draft, and I've kind of just put in all caps, like, something, something here about the underground something, 
blah. Like, because I like, like literally typed that out because I didn't know what to put there at the time. And I knew that Eddie would have good advice for me for my second draft. Or he would say like, just don't, don't forget to fill this out. And by the time I get my red lines back and I'm doing my second draft, I'm in a different headspace, you know? Yeah. Um, So sometimes it's just about getting stuff on the paper. I mean, Matthew has talked about something that he rewrote for a book recently because he went back and looked at it and was like, why did I write this? And sometimes (laughs) that happens. You know, it's, 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 it's a thing that happens is that sometimes you kind of look at something that you wrote and you go like, Oh, why did I write this? But then you fix it. Um, and giving yourself permission to put shitty prose on the page is really helpful sometimes because yeah, yeah, maybe you, maybe you don't know what to write, but you can at least get the idea down. Um, I was writing an adventure for, for Matthew recently and I got kind of caught up in my own head about it because I've never written an adventure before. Uh, mm-hmm. plot plot is not my strong suit my strong suit is like writing about characters and places and stuff um so i wrote the first like third of it and then the other two thirds were me literally saying like here's what i want to happen in this scene let me know if you have any advice yeah um and both matthew and Hiromikota had some amazing advice for me on that and i i was pretty happy with with, with what i turned in you know, it, 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 was it the best adventure ever written? No, but I think it was serviceable and good for the franchise and everything else. So, and of, of course, they they will probably tweak it in development, and that's fine too. Oh, we um, were very happy with it. I don't mind saying on this recorded medium, but oh, uh, it's rare that a book goes by that you don't have to do some significant development to either even things out or create a through line or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we felt. And this isn't to disparage the other writers on the book because they did really strong work as well. But mm-hmm. your work needed the least development. Aww. So um, it's uh, something, uh, this is like one of those embarrassing presentations in front of an audience. But I can, <laughs> say, I, I can say to you that uh, you should not feel bad about your work on that book. We were happy with it. Oh, no, I... I, I... I, I do not feel bad about it. It was just, like I said, the, the first draft was very much like a partial draft. Yeah. Um, and that happens a lot. Like, there are some people who think that because we said you're contracted for 10,000 words that we need all 10,000 of those words at first draft. Um, a lot of times we get drafts in that are like seven or 8,000 with people saying, like, I didn't know what to put here. Can you give me advice? And that's nice. That's that's helpful. Um, so, yeah, no, I... I think it's gotten easier, obviously, over the years. If I look back at stuff I wrote in, like, middle school versus stuff I wrote in high school versus stuff I wrote in college versus stuff I wrote last year, um, you know, I've I've, I've improved because that's what happens when you practice something. (laughs) But also, I have written drafts that were kind of crappy in the past couple of years and just said, like, I did my best. I'll do better (laughs) in the second one, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, write, write something shitty if you want to and then go back and look at it later. Uh, so we are getting close to time, so I think we're actually going to do a third mailbag episode. Nah, let, let's let's charge through. Let's charge There's through. There's so see many. How many. See how many we can get through. Well, yes, we... I'm 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 gonna do a few more, but I'm just saying. There's like 15 more. Uh. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so next question is from under underscore a underscore bridge, uh, and they say, "What is everyone's favorite and least favorite mechanic from a White Wolf or Onyx Path game, and why?" And I'm going to go ahead and say that I don't have favorite mechanics or least favorite mechanics. I just use mechanics. So, um, Matthew, do you have any answer for this? 
Uh, yeah, so favourite mechanic uh, to be self-indulgent would be cinematics, uh, as they are portrayed and they came from. I'm very happy with them, even happier than I am with quips. They are super fun. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think uh, a lot of players get a lot of use out of them, and it's it's a guilt-free way of meta-gaming. <laughs> um, my least favourite mechanic in any of our games is probably the extended role. I know I mentioned stunts earlier, uh, but uh, the extended role in any game is there because, and this is my view, is there because we do need to be able to justify a game mechanic where you, let's say, you take a long time to research something or are trying to crack a code, and there needs to be a certain number of successes rolled. But I'll be damned if I have ever found a group that has actually sat through 15 rolls along with failures mm -hmm. to get 15 successes in a row to prove that you can do it. Eventually, you just say, for dramatic purposes, you do it or you can't do it. And, uh, you know, I, I can see the justification for its existence, Mm -hmm. And I can't think of a simple way of having a variant to it, uh, but I have found that it exists across multiple games and it never really sees use. No, totally. Um, Eddie, do you have any babies or ones that you uh, aren't a fan of? Um, my favorite mechanic from a White Wolf game is Humanity and Vampire the Masquerade. Mm -hmm. And my least favorite mechanic from White Wolf game is humanity for vampires. <laughs> I knew you were gonna do that. I knew that. Care to elaborate? Um. So, like, on, on one level, it 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 really opened my mind to the idea of gamifying the core conflict of a character, even if it's an internal conflict. You know, um, the idea that if I make a bad decision, this number goes down. I don't want that number to go down, so I want to make good decisions. Was really. Uh, uh, me as a baby designer was really like, oh my god, that's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And it's also hugely problematic and very Western-centric and um, imposes a, a, a specific ethos on every, one of every morality. Mm -hmm. And I understand we've, you know, various iterations, including V20, we've walked it back and came to different approaches and, and justified and explained it and textualized it. And I totally understand and appreciate all that. But at the end of the day, it's really just saying it's this arbitrary ethos gets put on vampires but it doesn't mm -hmm. change the fact that it's a genuinely interesting way of gamifying internal conflict that's much better than say call it through sanity yeah no i i definitely agree with that um i guess i wasn't even thinking about some of the they they, they came from stuff as mechanics because they're so much fun mm -hmm. so mine might also be cinematics <laughs> if i have to have a favorite mechanic um, <laughs> and I, I i don't know i just I feel like mechanics are just tools, you know? Mm, so, like, if right. I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, this hammer is my favorite and I hate this screwdriver, but, like, there are some situations where I need to use the screwdriver, like, that's, that's okay. <laughs> and I think part of the, the, the issue is that um, game designers have strong opinions about mechanics. Players very rarely do. Um, so when you're doing lots of games, of course, you get lots of discussion about this mechanics amazing, this mechanics awful, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and then you start to get this idea of, oh, all players also have these opinions, but most players are like you, Dixie, where it's like, I roll the dice, tell me what they did. Okay, cool, great. Um, if it, mechanics don't work, the player just goes, well, this isn't fun. Mm -hmm. and, they have to, and it goes back to our episode we did a long time ago about what is fun. Um, so, Which we I mean, did not answer in any kind no, of satisfying manner. But we, maybe we should try again. Yeah, it's, been, it's been a few years. Maybe we can try again. But um, 
Point is, is that usually only game designers or people who are interested in game design have favorite and least favorite mechanics. I would say the exception to that rule is the shifting target numbers versus mm. static target number but multiple successes needed, which when we accidentally... A writer on Mummy the Curse who had been working on World of Darkness material put in some shifting target number stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's very easily done when you work across storyteller, storytelling, story path. Yeah, we have it in Exalted here. Uh, Yeah, and sometimes you just don't pick up on these things as a developer because you have the same blind spots, and the fan response to that was quite... It wasn't act- yes, it was vocal. Vocal's a good way to put it. it. It wasn't toxic or anything like that, but it really showed how strongly some people feel about, no, eight is the difficulty, and eight shall remain the difficulty in Chronicles of Darkness, and mm-hmm. you just need more eights and nines and tens than anyone else, damn you. No, I, 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 I disagree. Um, I think that a lot of that comes from people going, well, this is how you play the game, and that's how I learned to play the game, and you have broken that. That is a mistake, and I need to correct you on it. And people love telling people when they made mistakes on the internet. That is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about, <laughs> well, compared to these mechanics, they're both equally applied and generally considered to be doing the good job. Mm-hmm. I like this one over that one. That kind of stuff usually generally only lives in game design circles. Yeah, totally. Uh, we, we really are getting toward time, Matthew, so don't, don't rush me. I think we just do a third mailbag episode because these are fun. I'm enjoying answering questions people actually want to hear about, and we have enough questions for a third episode. I will, however, ask the most important two questions before we hit the end of this. So we're going to skip ahead. And if we haven't answered your question next week or the week after, we're going to do it. Why not? We're just going to keep doing this mailbag thing. It's fun. Um, Blind Boy's Shadow asks, what's the crack with Protestants? Matthew? <laughs> what is the crack with Protestants? Yeah, those damn Protestants. Um, so, what indeed is the crack with Protestants? Well, obviously, uh, we can blame Martin Luther for a lot of where, well, of what Protestantism is, along with Henry Tudor. But <laughs> uh, I think um, the comedian Emo Phillips uh, puts it best. Uh, he tells a joke where um, he's walking across a bridge one day. Uh, in fact, I'll do a comedian voice that Emo Phillips doesn't use. All I, was right. walking, I was walking across a bridge one day, and I saw a man standing there on the edge, about to jump off. I immediately ran over and said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I? He said. I said, well, there's so much to live for. Like what? Well, are you religious or an atheist? I'm religious. Me too. Are you Christian, Jewish, Muslim? What? I'm a Christian. Me too. Are you Catholic or are you Protestant? I'm a Protestant. I I am as well. Me too. Are you Episcopalian, Evangelist, Baptist? I'm a Baptist. Wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of God. I am as well. Are you Original Baptist Church of God or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God? I'm a Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you a Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1879 or a Reformed Baptist (laughs) Church of God Reformation of 1915? (laughs) Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1915. To which I said, die, heretic, and pushed him off. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of splinter groups in Protestantism. (laughs) 
Oh my. Uh, just so everybody knows we're not poking fun at any religion here, but someone did ask that, and it was a whole thing. So uh, yeah. we are we are going on with it. Um, and the most important question that we have been asked, I was submitted by a Mister H Hogan, <laughs> and I feel like I feel like Matthew should ask this one because I can't do the voice. Oh okay, uh, so Mister H Hogan, Mister T Balea, uh, as he's <laughs> otherwise known, asks the question: What you gonna do? And I would suggest his first question is to Eddie Webb, brother, what you gonna do? Oh, I'm gonna run rapshit over you. I'm gonna take you into the ring and I'm gonna beat you. I'm gonna hurt you and you're gonna regret it. Okay, brother. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna make you a nice cup of tea and, and help you calm down. Ooh, <laughs> that is what I'm going to do. As long as that tea has cow's milk, brother, and venomins, and say your prayers, brother. Those are the three bona fides of H. Hogan Esquire, brother. Is it Hogan Esquire now? H. Hogan Esquire? You go to law school? Uh, yes, brother. I haven't been working in the ring much lately, brother. False hip, brother. Jack. <laughs> You're a barrister now. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, you've got to have a trade, haven't you? You can't just rely on wrestling all your life. Eventually, your body's going to quit, and that's when you go to law school. And that's when you go to law school. That's when you go to law school. Yeah. All right, well, we will be back uh, next week or the week after, whenever we time to do this, with Mailbag 3, uh, Return of the Mailbagging. Um... <laughs> Return of the Bag. <laughs> In the meantime, if anybody wants to follow up with any of your answers on this, Eddie, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at pugsteady.com, and from there you can get access to all my social media accounts. Uh, Matthew, what about you? Uh, they can find me on matthewdawkins.com or on Twitter at DawkinsMP. You can find me at Dixie Cyanide on most social media. You can find us at theonyxpath.com. Uh, check out every project that we have linked in the show notes because that's how we do things here. Um, and as always, Many worlds, one podcast. Brother. <laughs>